I just want to introduce myself. My name is Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are in full swing of summer. And uh, it is, man, yesterday was ridiculously hot. Uh, it was redonkulous. That's what they say. Friday was? I was inside my house all day Friday hiding, so I didn't know this. Well, if you are, um, if you've been with us, with us the past few uh, weeks, we've been going through the sermon series in Exodus, and we're going to continue that this morning. Um, and uh, Exodus is a great book because a lot of us ask questions. Hey, I need a sermon series on my current life issues. You know, I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm a mom, so help me with being a parent, or I'm a husband or a wife, or I'm a soon-to-be husband or wife, and help me understand what it means to, uh, to husband well or to wife well, or I'm an employee, or, you know, whatever all these kind of things in our lives, these situations that we have, often what we want to do is say, Kelly, will you preach a sermon series on these specific life issues? And to be honest, that's why we're going through the book of Exodus, because what we're seeing is that the book of Exodus does answer for us every single question that we have in modern day life. And really, you know, we, you've heard us say it over and over from the front, what the book of Exodus does is it takes us out of something and brings us into. So you see where Israel, the, the nation of Israel is being brought out of slavery and into freedom. And for us this morning, we're not, we're not slaves under an oppressive government or an oppressive ruler, but what we do tend to be is slaves to sin and slaves to idols and, and habits. And so what God is wanting to do with his church is move us out of slavery to sin and bring us into freedom into Christ. Um, last week we went through the plagues. We, we just whizzed through nine plagues. And um, this morning we're going we're gonna to look at the very last one, um, the, the, the plague of, of death. The angel of death comes and visits uh, the whole nation of Egypt. And, um, you know, this week, somebody, la- was it last week? My birth- was my birthday last week? Two weeks ago? I can't remember. When you get to a certain age, you stop caring, right? Uh, you just are like, whatever. Maybe uh, that's how I am. But somebody gave me a gift card last week to a restaurant. And uh, it, I love it. And Marianne and I were out in Brea last week, and we used, sorry, kids. Uh, we, we used the, the gift card on ourselves to go out to a restaurant and enjoy lunch together. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about the gift card is, you know why I love it? Because it's free. I didn't pay for it. Isn't that cool? Uh, when somebody gives you a gift card, it's, it's a, an expense that you get to spend that you didn't have to pay for. And we're going to look at kind of, that's kind of the story of what we're going to read this morning is now gift cards may not be a great illustration to speak about the blood of Christ, obviously, but it's something that's been paid for us on our behalf that we get to enjoy the benefits of that we didn't have to do. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to break this up a little bit because it is a lengthy uh, portion of Scripture. But we're going to look at Exodus chapter 12, read 1 through 14, and then we're going to skip down to 21. So uh, starting in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, says this. Your Bible might be headed the Passover. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. 
Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water. Man, boiled meat, that is nasty. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And skip down to verse 21. It says, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians." And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who is in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in Egypt, or in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, 
Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you so much for your, your word and for your picture, for your story, for your saving of us, for... Um, even what we read here this morning of the seriousness of it, of the, uh, the weight of it, and how it points us to the fact that we could be in trouble if not, if we had a, a Savior, a sacrifice on our behalf. And I thank you this morning as we sit under your word that it points us to you, Jesus. And I ask that the Holy Spirit this morning as we as we sit here, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you unloosen things in our hearts where we tend to think we don't need the sacrifice, where we don't need you to come and rescue us. Um, Lord, where we misunderstand our faith, will you point us back to the truth of the beauty of your blood? Will you point us back to the truth of the beauty of, so to speak, that gift card that's been paid for us on our behalf that we get to enjoy this morning, God? Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, if we, if we were to take that, that, that example of the gift card of uh, being paid for on my behalf, I get to enjoy a nice lunch with my wife. Um, the thing is that if I were to go there meaning well, if I were to show up at the restaurant saying, hey, babe, where's that gift card, right? We come and, you know, someone gave us this gift card, but then lo and behold, she can't find it in her purse. And then I go up to the waiter and the waiter comes and he drops off the bill. And then what happens? What do I try to do? Uh, uh, hey, it, it, no matter, no matter how good looking I am, which is pretty up there, uh, no matter how much, you know, I try to like say nice things to the waiter, no matter how much I try to like get my, what is he going to do? He's going to be like, sorry, man. Uh, yeah, you, you, you're dressed nice, and you really treated me well. You said please and thank you every time you asked for something. You even kind of pre-bust the table for me, you know, so all those kind of things. No matter how good of a restaurateur I am, it doesn't matter. I still have to pay the bill, right? And if I don't have that little thing that I was given, then the waiter's going to, I'm going to be in the back, like, washing. Do they still do that? You still have to wash the dishes in the back? That's like the movies. I don't know what they would do. You see, what, I don't know if you picked, on, picked up on it, but no one was exempt from this angel of death coming and visiting their home. Now, this probably was a shock for some of the Israelites because if you were keeping along with the story, you saw that every single plague, there was this distinction between the Egyptians and the, the Israelites, right? So let's pretend this is Goshen over here where the Israelites lived. And this is the, the posh area of Egypt where all the Egyptian citizens live. Every time that God would come and answer for them, who is God? Remember last week, 
Who's the Lord that I should obey him? He answers with this plague, and he pours out blood in the Nile, or he, he, he lets a, a billion frogs loose, or flies, or gnats, or lice, or um, you know, all the, the hail, the, just et cetera, et cetera. Darkness comes, and there's this distinction lying in the sand between Egypt and Israel. But in this one, there's no distinction. And I could imagine being an Israelite and Moses comes and he says, all right, guys, the final plague is coming. And Israelite's like, yeah, what's it going to be this time, right? Oh, it's going to be good. You know when you see your, your enemy suffer a little bit? You know, the gloat comes a little. You're like, ooh, yes, give it to him. Give it to him, right? And, the, and this you know is the final one coming. And you're, you're like, all right, what's it going to be? And Moses speaks something to you that takes you off guard a little bit. He tells you, actually, this plague is coming, but it's not, there's going to be no distinction between Egypt and Israel. And the only thing that will save you is your get-out-of-jail-free card. Is your, you've been given a gift card to a restaurant, is your, the blood of a sacrificial lamb. I don't know if you guys were picking up on the story Isn't it incredible how God decides and he chooses for this nation for this to be the first day for them to begin, how they begin their calendar? It was so important. He said, this shall be the first day for you for the year. That when you take this lamb, this will, will, by however you set your calendar for the rest of the year, it would always be From here will be the beginning. This will be the path from which you start. This will be the initiation into freedom. But it doesn't come with this automatic, oh, it's just because you're an Israelite, you get to partake in this. There was action that was required on their part. Don't we do that sometimes as Christians? I know I I do. Sometimes I've, I've been a Christian since, you know, I, I remember saying, you know, like the sinner's prayer when I was a little child. My parents, uh, I was privileged to uh, be raised in a Christian home, and I remember my parents leading me uh, to understand what it meant to give my life to Christ. Now, I did that when I was young, but it didn't come, you know, real for me until I started getting a little bit older. But don't we do that as Christians sometimes? We, if we've been in the faith for a certain amount of time, we kind of take our faith for granted, we kind of at times just go, well, you know, I've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years, and, you know, I'm special. Uh, I don't really need to ask God for forgiveness anymore. I don't really need to repent of my sins anymore. Uh, I kind of just keep on doing what I'm doing. And that's so not true. The Christian life is one of continual repentance. Um, as we see the cross more in our lives, the more we see how much we need the forgiveness of God. And my encouragement to you this morning is don't be an Israelite and just say, oh, well, I'm an Israelite, so to speak. I'm a Christian, so I don't need to partake in this. This is why we do communion every Sunday. And so we can be often guilty of just being old hat, right? Just take it for granted. But what God is saying and the initiation for them into freedom was so serious. It was so heavy. It demanded that a life be taken. That's hardcore. 
So I wonder if they were caught off guard. Now here's, here's the thing. Only the right form of payment is accepted on their behalf to get out of this plague. Now I could go to this restaurant and I don't know how many, what the peso to dollar conversion is. Anybody been to Mexico lately? Maybe it's like a million pesos to one dollar. I don't know. I remember going down to Mexico and it was like six, a thousand pesos to like 10 cents, you know? And you're like, this is amazing. I have 10 million pesos. I'm so rich. And then you get back to America and you exchange it. You're like, I have two dollars, you know? <laughs> oh. But I could have the right equivalent in pesos or I could have the right equivalent in the British pound or the Canadian dollar or the Chinese yen, or you know, whatever it is, and I can say, no, I have the right amount, and I, I, I'm all proud about it, right? And I get, and the, the waiter comes, and he brings the bill, and he lays it at the table, and I look at it, and I'm like, on my calculator, I figure it out, well, that is 40 yen, perfect, and I start, and I pay in yen, and he's going to pick up the bill and go, what the heck is this, bro, right? Uh, this doesn't work. It's not just any payment. It's not just good works. It's not just my trying to be nice to the waiter that is going to get me off the hook for having to pay the bill. And we do this as Christians. We revert back to this religious idea of our faith. And we say, wow, you know what? Uh, God is pleased with me if I do this, this, and this. So I will you know, treat my kids right, I treat my wife and my, my husband right, I'll, I'll do all the good things at work, I'll think good thoughts all day, I'll try not to like look at all the bad things and look at all the good things, et cetera, et cetera, and we go down the list and we somehow think that that pays our way for us, that our initiation, and that, and that the wrath of God will turn away from our sins because our good things outweigh our bad things. And that is every other religion in the world. Christianity is different. There's only one form of payment that God accepts on behalf of our sin. No matter what you try to do, no matter what you try to tell yourself, there's only one form of payment. Look at Hebrews 9.22. Speaking about Christ and the only payment that is received for sin, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The wages of sin is death, and only the sacrifice of a life can undo it. It's heavy. It's heavy stuff. God takes sin so seriously. Remember, I, I think I said this last week. Are we flirting with sin? And I want to I just, you guys, I'm not trying to say we're saved by works. I'm not telling us this morning that God is looking to squash us like some big giant mean ogre from heaven is just waiting for us to mess up. But what he does do is he does take sin seriously. He doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. And God takes sin so seriously that the only way for forgiveness of sin is the shedding of blood. Now why? Why couldn't it be some other way? 
Have you ever asked that question before? Like, why did it have to be the shedding of blood? Why does it have to be someone dying for sin? Here's the, here's the reason why. When we try to offer our good works to God on behalf of, so like if we're trying to do the religion thing in our faith, if we're trying to like, you, you know, there's some other religions that teach you, like, let's say we're walking up to the pearly gates and uh, we're, we're like, you know, one of the angels is standing there and he's like, all right, who are you? And you're like, uh, Kelly Monahan, I think you remember me, uh, five years old, said, I uh, love you, Jesus. Remember that? He's like, yeah. And he's like, well, like, prove it. All right, let's play, let's play the movie of your life. And he puts it up there. And all of a sudden, this tally starts to go up like sin. You're like, oh, my gosh. And then the good works. You're like, I made it, right? We often kind of think that how heaven is going to work somehow. Like, we get up there and, you know, like, our good is going to. So, like, even in Islam, there's a scale, and if our sin outweighs our righteousness, it's like, nope, Allah's like, and then you fall down a chute or something, right? Christianity doesn't work that way. The only thing, the only payment in the form is the blood of the lamb, the blood of Christ. And it's only a perfect sacrifice. And that's why our righteousness doesn't work to get us into heaven. Because it's not perfect. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our righteousness is worth nothing. That's offensive. You mean all the times that I did all those good deeds when I, got, when I was in the Boy Scouts and I got all those badges? You mean God doesn't look back at that and go, wow, let me put that in the scale, Kelly. Well, good job. You mean all those times where I worked extra hours at the office and made my boss extra happy or where I bought my wife flowers and I did all these things and I was a really good dad and husband and mom and mother? God doesn't put that in the scale and that doesn't count for me as righteousness? God doesn't look at that and go, wow, good, good job. Now, now I'm going to let you into heaven. No, because only perfection can pay the price for sin. See, God doesn't look at our sin and go, well, that sin outweighs, like your good deeds outweigh the, the, the weight of that sin. What I demand as a, as a righteous God is com complete and utter perfection to be paid. Well, that's not fair. How in the world can any of us do it? You ever try to be perfect? Someone was like, I don't even try. I try for like 30 seconds. It doesn't work. I try. I try to be perfect. But we fail miserably every time. And God says, your sin is an offense to me. Your sin separates you from me. And the only thing, the only thing that will make you right with me again is the blood of a lamb but it has to be perfect. And you see here, Moses instructs them. God gives Moses instructions and he tells Israel, pick for yourselves a lamb that is with what? Without a blemish. Without a spot. I don't know if you've ever been to a petting zoo or like the zoo or you ever let your kids, you know, you, 
Sorry, I'm about to get off on a tangent. But you go and you buy like that stuff looks like feed, and then the goats come up and like licking it out of your hands. You're like, ah! Right? Every single one of those little goats have something funky about them. <laughs> they got like, what's that growing on space? Or, or their elbows are ashy. They need some lotion. Uh, or they're, you know, they're just, there's some weird. And God said, don't just take the easy one. Don't just take the little goat like every other goat or lamb that looks like every other lamb. Go and seek and find the lamb that is perfect. That is without any blemish. The hair all goes the right way. It doesn't have one gimpy eye looking one weird way. Or just three legs. Get ev everything about it has to be perfect. Why? And, and sometimes we do this even, this, let me get off on another tangent. Sometimes we do this in our worship to God. Don't we? God's like, I demand all of your life and worship should be costly. And we're like, well, let's see. I think I got some change in my pocket. Or, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Just like we, we tend to find the things that are easy to give to God as a sacrifice. It's easy to pick the runt out of the litter. It's no sacrifice when you have to, like, kill that one. It's like, well, that one looked like it was about to die anyway. <laughs> it's true. Oh, I wasn't using... Hey, I remember one time I, I gave away a car. I donated it to Cars for Kids. Would you believe that car was already broken down? <laughs> Would you believe that it had a major oil leak in it, and if I was going to fix it, it was going to cost more to fix the car than it was just to give it away? But I was so nice, and I donated it <laughs> to Cars for Kids. Chalk that one up, Lord, you know? <laughs> but somehow we take that as, like, we, we add all these things to righteousness, and we think God will be impressed somehow. And he says, no, the only thing that will forgive you, the only thing that will avert my wrath, my perfection against sin is perfection. Because I am perfect, and I demand perfection. Here, here, here's what I love, is that we see that the musical theme, the musical score of Exodus continues again. Remember how we talked about there's this, there's this soundtrack playing throughout all of Scripture. And what you see here, remember back in, in Genesis, Abraham takes his son Isaac, and where do they go? They go marching up the hill, and they're about to sacrifice. And as Abraham lifts up his knife, ready to plunge it into his son, Lo and behold, there is a lamb caught in the thickets. The lamb, the sacrifice made on his behalf. And then here again we see in Exodus, the wrath of God is about to come. The firstborn is about to be sacrificed on every single person. And what happens? God intervenes and he makes a way and he says, take for yourself a lamb spotless, without blemish, and sacrifice it. So when that blow comes, it will stand in your place. And if you've been a Christian, you know where this is going. 
You know Jesus is our ultimate lamb who stands in our place for us. John said this about his cousin, John the baptizer. He said in John chapter 1, verse 20, says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sees Jesus coming. This is, about where he, this is the, the story where he's about to baptize Jesus. And he, as Jesus is walking up, he says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God. Remember Israel. Remember how we've been celebrating Passover for all these years? Remember how we've been doing this in the physical? Behold, look, the Lamb of God is here. And he comes to take away the sins of the world. The perfect, the spotless, the one without blemish, the Lamb of God is among us. Jesus is the perfect Lamb. It says this in 1 Peter 22. It says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, speaking of Jesus, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? God demands perfection. We can't do it on our own. God knows that in his love. He provides a perfect lamb for us. When everything that should happen to us is that when death comes and visits our house, it should take its sacrifice. But it doesn't have to. Because we have, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Usually we take communion either toward the end or during, during our singing part of worship, but we're going to, we're going to do communion now. I've asked the guys, um, they're just going to get up and help. We're going to pass out communion this morning, and we're going to do it together as a group. And um, if, if you are not a believer this morning, if you have not yet come to a place where you, you've put your hope and your faith in Jesus, that's okay. You are completely welcome here. We're so glad you're here this morning. And uh, if you, when, when that plate comes down with the little cracker and the juice, if you, if you haven't um, given your life to Jesus, all you need to simply do is just pass it to the next person. No one's going to look at you and go, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe. Uh, it, that's totally fine. Um, so just to explain what, what we're doing here this morning. Obviously, the story of the Passover lamb is Jesus. And obviously for you and me this morning, we should experience that plague coming and visiting us in its fullest form and taking what it wants and taking what it demands. And the reason why we together this morning are doing this, why we do it every week, is why Moses said what he said. He says, when your kids ask you, why are you doing this? Tell them about the story. When, 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 you, when you break, the, when, you, when you slit the, the neck of the, the, the lamb and the blood comes out and you eat of its flesh, why do we do this? Why do we feast like this, Daddy? Why do we do this, Mommy? It's because 
when God could have poured out his wrath on us, he gave us a way out. And the reason why we're doing this this morning is because when God should have poured out his wrath because of our sin, because we had no way of paying it back, Jesus stood in our place and was the perfect and spotless and the one without a blemish, lamb on our behalf. Here's what I, I want us to read as this is going forth. Um, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28, and this is the Last Supper where Jesus is breaking bread with his disciples and says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And here we have the fulfillment of the Passover in Jesus. The disciples probably didn't have a clue what Jesus was talking about. Because they had been celebrating the Passover for their whole lives. As kids, they grew up doing this. And to have someone say, you know, the blood that you, you spill when you sacrifice that lamb and the body that you eat of that lamb when you remember the Passover... That's all pointing to me. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Now, you and I have the benefit of knowing exactly what that means thousands of years later, post the cross. The reason why I wanted to do this this morning is for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, it's so easy for us just to kind of go, yeah, I get it. We do this every Sunday. I remember, yeah, the Passover lamb, I know, it points to Jesus. But my encouragement to you is to not allow this just to become like something you just do. Hopefully, the weight of your sin grips your heart. And the truth that you have no way of paying back the righteousness that's been afforded to you through the Son of God should weigh heavy on you. And there should be gratitude that wells up in your heart. Why? Because when you try to be perfect and you fail miserably like we all do, there's, there's a gift card that's been given to you that you didn't pay for. And it's redeemable for righteousness. And it's redeemable for favor with a holy father. And it's redeemable for right relationship with God. And every time you try to pay on your own good looks, on how nice you are, to the one who is looking whether it counts or not, and you fail miserably, God in his grace to you has given you the means to pay it. And that's good news. So if you have the little cracker, we're going to do the thanks bro. We're going to do the, the the cracker first. There's no real spiritual way why we do it. I do it just because the juice helps wash down the cracker. So There's two big words that I think are appropriate here. One is propitiation. Can you guys say that? Propitiation. It's a big word, okay? 
The other is expiation. Say expiation. All right? Most of us don't go through life talking about propitiation and expiation. But there's two things that happen when the blood of the lamb was spilt and the body of the lamb was eaten for the Israelites and when the blood of the lamb, Jesus, was spilt and as we partake in his body. Two things that come to mind is propitiation and expiation. What, are, what do those big words mean? All right. Well, propitiation, I just wrote down, this is an easy way of understanding. It's the action of satisfying God's wrath against sin. Some of us don't like that, but the truth is that God is perfect and he's holy. And the only way for us to live that way to God was through a propitiation. And that was the body of Christ because he's perfect. And God demands his wrath was going to be poured out on our sin. But in his love, he gave us a way out, which is the body of Christ. So let's take this which represents the body and I'll just pray. Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb who takes away our sin. And as we eat this cracker this morning, we thank you for our propitiation. We thank you that... Father, your wrath against sin was satisfied in Jesus, completely and wholly. And that the, the, the body of Jesus, so to speak, was a sponge that got every single part of our sin. There's not one area of our sin that wasn't absorbed in your body. And so as we partake of this this morning, we thank you, Jesus, for the propitiation of our sins. The other side is the expiation. And not only does propitiation, uh, it, it, it pays the penalty for our sin, but expiation takes away the guilt. It washes us clean. Taking away guilt through the payment of a penalty or the offering of an atonement. And that's what the blood of Christ does. That's why we partake in not only his body, but also his blood that washes us pure as snow, as the book of Isaiah says, though our sins are as scarlet, red, and staining, the blood of Christ washes us pure. Jesus, thank you for your blood that was spilt for us on our, on our behalf. Thank you that you not only forgive us, but that you wash us clean and you impute your righteousness so that we stand pure and holy, just like you, because of your work on the cross. In Jesus' name.